you guys are here. Wednesday night is a great time to come to Calvary Chapel South. Our family has had our kids here on Wednesday nights for 20 years. We love the opportunity to be here on Wednesday night. Tonight's going to be a little bit different. We're going to have a presentation on mission trips. It's kind of like The Voice or uh, America's Got Talent. Each of the mission teams has 10 minutes. Okay, now this is how it's going to work. I know our mission teams. I know our team leaders. For them to stay within 10 minutes is going to be like, so see that stool over there? And I'm talking to the mission team leader. See that stool over there? When you see me walk up to that stool and sit on that stool, that means your time is just about done. So each of the missions teams is going to have 10 minutes to present. You're going to go to Africa, India, and Myanmar. And for some reason, God has allowed our church to have a tremendous outward vision. Monday night, there were 300 people here from World Relief. I mean, I sat at a table with a couple, just got here. They've been in the United States for seven days. They became Christians in Iran, and then were in Turkey for three years, and then they've been in the United States seven days. And the first place they came practically is Calvary Chapel South. So if you guys, before we do that, we're going to have um, West, or Les is going to share a devotional, and then Les is going to share about Myanmar, then the, the teams will share. After everyone shares their 10-minute slot, there'll be a Q&A time. That is a great opportunity. If you want to hear more, um, it would be great if you kind of think of the questions for that time. After that, we'll, we'll have some prayer time, and uh, then we'll call it a night. So would you welcome Les Prock? Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to share. On missions night, mission, missions for me uh, not too long ago was... Uh, writing a check to support some guy out there in the field and uh, you know being a cheerleader go for it go but uh, the Lord's decided something different and there's Lord's always surprising us in things like that in ways if we're willing to be surprised if we're willing to go and and uh, I got the opportunity to go to Myanmar um, I think it was 07, how many years ago is that? But been going ever since, ever, at least once a year. But uh, for a devotional tonight, I'm going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. So if you want to get there, we'll talk about Paul, who Paul, I believe, is probably a super missionary. I mean, he's the guy who spent his life out there bringing the gospel to Asia Minor, Europe, to Israel, and we want to look at his life. I want to look at his life. I'm interested in Paul's life. I mean, his life is big in the New Testament, and we, you know, can see examples of how the Lord uses somebody mightily, and he's amazing, but he never calls himself a missionary. He calls himself a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He calls himself an ambassador for Christ. He considers himself indebted to all men to bring them the gospel for Jesus Christ. And uh, so, you know, what is a missionary? Am I, am I called to be a missionary? I think not in that sense. I'm called, if I'm called to anything, I'm called to be a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I'm called to do whatever he asked me to as his disciple. And if that involves missions, okay. We're all involved in missions in somehow, some way, whether it's just uh, in our family, our, our neighborhood, or in our church. But 
you know, as long as we're following the Lord, as long as we're doing what he wants us to do, as long as we're willing to do what he asks us to do, you know, he's going to use us. But in Philippians chapter 3, I'll read it through. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these things I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We have three phases of Paul's life here. We have his past, we have his present, and we have where he wants to be in the future. His past, he explains, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. That probably if you were to look at Acts chapter 9 where he was apprehended upon his way to Damascus to persecute the church there. He was apprehended by Jesus Christ. And uh, we know the story, but he, his life was changed at that time. And probably verses 4 through 7 there where he says, you know, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, circumcised, the eighth day stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, zeal persecuting the church, blameless according to the law. That's probably his past life. We can say that was Paul that was up to that point. And then at that point, his life took a totally different turn, a new turn, a change turn. He said at that point, he said, those things that were gained to me, I've counted lost for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord. And so he was told, the Lord told Ananias that he was a chosen vessel and that he would be told, or the Lord had to express to him what things he must suffer for the kingdom's sake. And so Paul had kind of an upfront um, consultation from the Lord in the beginning of his conversion of what things he would be doing, what things he would be suffering. And at that point, he made a conscious decision to release all things, to count them lost. The things that he had, up to that point, he knew 
we're not going to see him through. We're not going to be what he needed. He needed Christ. And from that point on, his life was giving up those things. And then from verse 7 through verse 8, there's probably a, that time in his life of bringing him up to probably the present where he had experienced through his life the loss of all things. And, you know, it's one thing to count things lost. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm not attached to these things. These are for, you know, these things I can let go for Jesus Christ, you know. But it's another thing that when the Lord actually takes these things away from us, how do we feel about it? Have we experienced the loss of all things? You know, we can think ourselves willing to to let go of things, but when the Lord actually takes things, how do we feel about it? But that's Paul in the present time, sitting in the prison, writing a letter to the Philippian church. He suffered the loss of all things. And he's there, Paul at the present. That was his past now. His present is he's in prison writing letters. And then the Paul of the present says that he counts all things loss. He's, he's suffered the loss of all things and he counts them as rubbish. He says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, which our own righteousness is the best we can do is anything of the law. He says, but having the righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrections, that I may know him. That's experience him. He says, I, I've suffered the loss of all things and that's fine because the reward for that is to know him better, to know him, to experience him. Not just say, oh, that is Jesus Christ and I can read about him in the Bible. But he's personally experiencing Jesus in that. And he says, and the power of his resurrection, and that's the only way you're going to know the power of the resurrected life, is if you really let Jesus have free reign in your life. If you're really willing to let go of everything and, and really willing not to say no. If the word no is off the table between you and the Lord and he can do what he wants to with your life, he can take away things, he can add things, but whatever he asks of you, the answer is not no. That's where I think a lot of us fail because we look at what's been asked of us, we look at our opportunity and we think, I can't do that. That's not, not possible. When Julie, who came from Myanmar, asked me to go to Myanmar and help them out, my first answer was no. <laughs> I said, I felt so weak, actually. I said, there were so many things on my table. I said, I can't do that. Not possible, not me. But the Lord, I wrestled with the Lord for about a week on that one, and he, I gave up before he made me lame. And I said... <laughs> I said, I'll go. <laughs> but in, it, in going for Jesus, in, in letting him have his way, let him 
taking the word no off the table, that's when you experience him. That's when he has free reign in your life. That's when you know the power of the resurrection in your life. That's when you know the resurrected life. You're not a nominal Christian anymore. You're in the trenches. You're there, whatever it takes, because you want to know him. You want to be there with him. You, he can take everything and the fellowship of his sufferings conform to his death. That's the thing about living the Christian life. There's going to be suffering. If you're serving Jesus in any capacity, you're going to suffer. But you're in the fellowship with him in those sufferings. In, his, in the fellowship of his sufferings. Conform to his death. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses it, his life for my sake will find it. So those three things, come after Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross. Denying yourself, we can understand that. We can deny ourselves things. We can say we don't need those things. But uh, to take up the cross. Now, you can say, well, you know, we all have our cross to bear. You've probably heard that. And that's not really what Jesus is getting at. If you were a person living in Judea at that time with Roman rule, when someone took up their cross, you knew exactly what was going on. They were going to their death. And Jesus is telling his disciples, if you come after me, you've got to uh, deny yourself and oh yeah, take up your cross and follow me. I don't know if they made that connection when they first heard that. But when Jesus Christ calls you to follow him, you're no longer your own. The call to be a missionary is really just the call we all have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Whenever he called the disciples, he said, follow me. He didn't, he didn't call Peter and James, John, Simon there at the shore of Galilee, he didn't say, I want you guys to be missionaries for me. I want you to be apostles. How's that? What do you think? He just said, follow me. He said, and I'll make you something you're not. I'll make you fishers of men. And so the call is to him. So if we're willing to receive that call if we're willing to hear the voice of Jesus Christ and he's given it to every believer all believers are not disciples because that's the uh, if any man will come after me you know salvation costs God everything so he can give it to us freely there's no strings attached we can believe we can be saved we're going to heaven but the options do cost. The options are the ifs. If any man will come after me. In other words, walk this pathway with me. Have fellowship with me. Suffer with me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. So it's the ifs. It's the options that cost. And I have to wrap it up there because we have to get into... John's looking very expectantly at me. So, I haven't moved out of my 
<laughs> but to be a missionary is to be anything, to be a pastor, to be a mechanic, to be, you know, anything for the Lord. You just have to take up your cross and follow him. Hear the call of a disciple. Let him have his way with you. Be, look at Paul as an example. He suffered the loss of all things that he may know Christ. Fellowship of his sufferings. Conform to his death. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you've given us, Lord, in Christ. And Lord, the opportunity to be your disciples. And whatever that entails, Lord, whatever you want to do with our lives, Lord, do it. And let us, Lord, know you better and experience you through it and be your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Shall I go on into Myanmar? Okay. So, I've already mentioned I've been to Myanmar. Myanmar used to be called Burma. If any, you know, when I first looked at Myanmar before Julie came or I knew anything about it, I thought, is, is Myanmar Burma? You know, was that what it was? And, you know, I didn't know anything about it. You'd think if the Lord was going to call you to go someplace, he'd, you know, prepare you from, you know, way back and you would be educated. But uh, in Myanmar, this is uh, at a house church. This is Thomas. He's the... Uh, principal of the IMCP school, and uh, this is a young, she's actually 17 there. They look very young for their age, but uh, she wanted to be baptized, so I got the opportunity to go give the message on Sunday service at a house church and baptize her. Now, they said that we couldn't do it out in the open because the neighborhood's Buddhist and they didn't want to cause any trouble, so they put her in this little tub by the well and said, just pour the water over her, which I did, and that's what they took a picture of her. But what you don't see is she dunked her whole self into the, into the water. She was going to be immersed no matter what. <laughs> and uh, that was exciting. You know, this is something that I would have never dreamed, never dreamed that I would have the opportunity to do. Go halfway around the world, take a Burmese girl and baptize her for Jesus Christ. That, that's amazing. That, that, that's, my, that's a high point. You know, I can retire now, okay? I've done everything I can think of do. This, these are uh, an investment from Calvary Chapel South. These are apartments. Don't you like them? You want to rent one? $10 a month. But uh, Benjamin and Naomi are pastoring a church there, and they had some squatters. They had some people that, you know, in the village that they are, that, where they're at, at... Uh, you know, could do some day work, but they had no place to stay. We invested in apartments for them, and so they can rent these. There's four of them for $10 a month and so help support the church. And so that's our, the apartments. This is Benjamin and Naomi and uh, a few of their church flock. But uh, Benjamin, at one point in his life, was a child soldier, and uh, they're both orphans. They both they met in the orphanage, and uh, now they're pastoring a church. Um, this is a trip up to Mandalay, working or teaching some of the national leaders, the missionaries that are going out into the field, into the north country that's in the um, civil war zone. Uh, my translator there, Jonathan, teaching in Mandalay in the hotel. And so, just a few highlights of, of what I 
did over there, what I'm doing. Um, wanted to share with you also that uh, Christmas season is coming up. This has been traditionally a closed country, but Christmas has been kind of an open thing for the government. And uh, uh, Surpassing Grace, whom I work with and am on their board of directors to support uh, missions into Myanmar. And we, as a church, also send money to the to them for the missions for the prison ministry. The prisons are wide open in Christmas time. And I talked to Don Whitehurst. She wants prayer for the ministry, for the prison ministry, because they're investing more to, because instead of just a few moments with a few people in the prisons, uh, the uh, Paul and Lily who are going into the prisons will have everybody that, the, they will be all available, and they will be all available for extended length of time to, to preach the gospel to in, their, in every prison that they can go into. So they're just asking, we're asking for prayer for Christmas, for the outreach for that time. And I've got to give some time to Greg. So th these are some of the people we support. Like Les said, we've been partnering. Les, Les sucked us into this. He wasn't, it wasn't enough that he had to go. Um, and, but I, and I've, been, I've had the privilege to go there three times now. Um, and this, as you hear these things tonight, and we talk about these things, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit moves something in all of us, every single one of us. And to whatever degree, like Les said, as a disciple, we all have something relatable to this thing we call missions. And how it relates we're going to let the Spirit of God lead each and every one of us. But at the end, instead of doing our normal thing, we still want to collect the, uh, I'm going to say this now, collect the green cards, and I will print them off, and we'll pray Saturday morning. But tonight, we want to take time to pray for these things. And so Les already mentioned something with the prisons. Uh, another thing I want to bring up here is uh, we made some connections, John and I did, over the last few months. Actually, it's been a year, a year plus now, with a professor at the, uh, where is he, uh, the Faith Evangelical College and Seminary in Tacoma, Washington, a brother named David Chung, he's a uh, brother that's from Korea, uh, a dear Christian man, he got invited over there to Myanmar last year, and uh, he went over there, talked, there was 400 pastors and ministers assembled together for a time with him. And they wanted him to come to Myanmar and give some uh, evangelistic crusade activity. And he said, number one, well, we better pray that the government lets us do that. And secondly, you guys really need to get ready for this, because I'm not coming over here if you haven't spent time on your knees before God praying and preparing for what's going to happen after that. And so they did. hundred of those pastors signed commitments to say, this is what we will do. We will spend a lot of time getting ready, contacting all the churches around in the Yangon area. The Yangon is the major city there in Myanmar. And uh, so David went over there uh, in October. And October 23rd, 24th, and 25th, they had an evangelistic crusade. Now they've had some of these before, but they have been just merely, if you will, uh, gatherings for Christians and not open, openly preaching the gospel and reaching out to the nation. 
this changed. And this huge, one of the things I want to pray for this tonight is that there is a very wide open door right now, just like that happened in the Soviet Union in the, in the late 1990s. And I think we have a huge opportunity. We, the Christian church at large, has an opportunity to go in there. And I believe that's what the Lord is doing. Anyway, during this crusade, first night, 7,000 people came. Now, also, they had predicted rain. And before they went, I was talking with David and praying with David. And they said, they've got rain coming. This is the end of their monsoon season. And there was just predicted rain. Well, by God's sovereign hand, no rain fell on the event fell a lot of places around in Yangon, no rain on the event. First night, 7,000 people came to that event. The next night, 10,000 people. The last night, 12,000 people. And they had anywhere from 1,000 to 3,000 people come forward. Now, a lot of those were people that were rededicating their lives to Christ. But in the total, there was probably maybe about uh, 1,500 to 2,000 people, first-time commitments to Christ. So it's an amazing thing, and now what they want to do is there's some of, of the leadership there in Burma, the Burmese themselves, that want to take a similar thing out to Mandalay, to the north, to all over the place. They have the opportunity, so we really need to pray for that. Amen. Okay, so John's coming up, but he didn't take his seat. I didn't get a cue there. That's okay. So it's great hearing from Myanmar. Now we're going to move into Uganda. If Russ, you want to come up and uh, introduce your team, that'd be great. Let's hear for Uganda. God is so amazing. Um, when I was over there uh, ministering with my team of 12, which aren't here today, anyone? Anyone? Nope. Okay. Um, <laughs> God put it on my heart of Philippians chapter 3 to share with the child soldiers in Uganda that we worked with. This is uh, Constance. She was our guide through our adventure. Um, this slide is just going to run and show you our whole trip, but I don't have time to talk to the whole trip because I only got 10 minutes. John would, well, you'd still be here very late tonight. Um, anyway, he put on my heart to um, share with those folks um, Verses uh, 13 and 14 out of chapter 3. Brethren, I do not count myself as having apprehended it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what I tied this into is, before I was a Christian, there were lots of things that I wasn't very proud of that I had done, and God put this on my heart when I first got saved to remind me that that's all behind I can't change that, can't go do, any, do anything about that, but I can choose what to do today and tomorrow and going forward and share that with them. And a young man named Patrick, which you'll see a picture of, um, was a former child soldier. Him and his brother were kidnapped and their parents were slaughtered, and he was rescued from that, came up and said that really touched him and helped him understand what God had for him. We started out in Kobwin after about 32 hours of traveling, and during our trip there, we lost one of our team members. Um, his name is Patrick Capetto. He had an asthma attack, and we had to actually put him in a vehicle when we were two hours from Kobwin and send him back to Kampala for medical treatment and ultimately flew him back here. He's okay. He's recovered completely. But he didn't get to go beyond that. But he had prepared for the children, at the young men at Kobwin, along with I, were 
speaking to them about respect for God, respect for themselves, respect for family, and respect for community. And the last part included some uh, sexual purity um, teaching. And Patrick had prepared that last two sections of the presentation, but the first day, he was taken out, so I was praying the next day, okay, God, what do you got in mind? What's the, what's the plan? And uh, Constance had suggested I talk to, there's Patrick, one of the child soldiers, and he's got on Patrick Capetto's badge. Because <laughs> we made name takes for all of them, but he chose to wear Patrick Capetto's badge in honor of him not being able to be there. And um, Constance suggested I talk to uh, a guy named Shadrach, one of the teachers at Coburn, who had previously worked at Kasana, another one of the orphanages that we were going to visit, and ask him if he would present that last section. And he agreed to and studied it that night to present the next day. And um, that day, it rained really, really hard when it got to the time to teach that section. So hard, we were under a metal roof that you couldn't hear what Shadrach was saying. And I was on the side just praying, God, what's going on? And <laughs> please, you know, stop the storm. Let this message get taught. And the storm did eventually stop. And Shadrach was able to share what Patrick had prepared. And because Shadrach knew the culture, knew the kids, he was able to add to that message that Patrick had prepared. And it really hit these young men about how to treat women, how to respect them, and the values that God had in mind for them and the way that he wanted them to behave as men of God. And it really had a huge impact on them. And so it was just a real blessing to me to see how the enemy was trying to undermine this plan and this path that God had laid out. But at every turn, God turned what looked like a problem into a great opportunity. And it was just a huge blessing. Um, we also got to go on from Kobun to Kasana. And we had partnered up with Calvary Chapel Downey um, to sponsor what they call the P7 trip. And in Uganda, you go to school all the way through seventh grade, and at that point, you take a whole bunch of tests, and it determines whether or not you go on, or if you go become a farmer, or some other laborer. And so, in order to encourage them to take their tests and do well in them, Calvary Chapel Downey's for years has sponsored a trip. And so, this year, we took them on a safari, and Calvary, at Steve's prompting, I believe, Calvary Chapel South partnered with them, and we got to take them on that trip on a safari. And so we got to uh, give them T-shirts, which they made up with little logos. We also gave them to the kids at, at Coburn. And uh, so here's the girls doing, decorating their shirts, and you'll see the guys decorating them also. And we worked together as a team with Calvary Downey, putting together little gift packages for the kids for them to have snacks and treats as we went on this trip. But also we just got to get to know them and share the Lord with them. And uh, the day before we were supposed to go on our trip, God gave us another opportunity because the ferry that was supposed to take us across the Victoria Nile to get to the, to the uh, game reserve broke. So we got to take a 10-hour drive instead of an 8-hour drive to the game reserve, which turned out to be a great blessing because we got two safaris. To get to our hotel and the campground, we got to go through the game reserve without a guide, but we got to go through it. And when you get there in the evening, they put you, or actually afternoon, you get on a boat and you get a boat safari. So we all loaded up on two boats because we had so many kids and adults. And as we started off on the safari, another storm rolls in. 
and it's thunder and lightning and wind, and we're out on the river. And so on a double-decker boat, so we bring all the kids down from the top layer, and they drop the flaps, and we just sort of let the wind push us against the side of the banks and wait it out. And the guide was a little concerned because we have all these young kids, and he thought, oh, they're just going to panic. This is going to be terrible. So he started telling stories, and, um, which was good, but he ran out of them pretty quick. But the kids didn't panic. They just started singing praise songs and worshiped God until the storm passed. And that really ministered to me because I was going, okay, this is wonderful. God's, you know, so in these kids' hearts. But what Constance shared with me is up on the upper deck, the boys, before that storm hit, had seen enough of the West that they were kind of acting like Western boys, a bit of attitude and vibrato. But after that storm, they were very humble, <laughs> very thankful that God was with them and taking care of them. And it just changed their whole attitude for the rest of the safari. But was, they were very expressed how blessed they were to see the animals and see their country because a lot of them hadn't been outside of their village and around the orphanage. And it was a, a wonderful opportunity to share with them. There's some pictures from uh, the dinner we had before we went on the trip. I think it should be about out of slides here. There they are still celebrating. <laughs> oh, good. I've got, do I have more time, or am I about out of time? Okay. Um, one more story I wanted to share is there a lady named Medina, who's a Ugandan, that we worked with last year to do an outreach to the young ladies at Kasana. We had her come and stay with us again this year while we were there. And she, along with a lady named Sue, uh, worked in the school. And Sue this year decided to sponsor a young lady in Uganda named Irene. And as Sue was able to talk to Irene through Madonna, Medina, sorry, Medina, um, she came to realize that, a little difference, she came to realize that um, Irene knew about Jesus, but she hadn't actually accepted Jesus and invited him into her heart. But because Medina was there and was able to actually draw that out of her, they were able to lead her to Christ and pray with her to accept the Lord before they left. And Sue was so totally blessed to have that opportunity. And I think I'm out of time. So we're going back in August next year. So if you want to join, let me know. So I'd just like to ask Steve and Virginia to stand up for a second because um, would you guys mind just standing up? Really, the reason we do mission trips at Calvary Chapel South, as much as it's fun to go as a looky-loo, really our prayer is that you go on a mission trip. I'm inviting you to Africa this summer, but I'm warning you, Steve and Virginia started this whole thing in Uganda many years ago. Now they're going out full-time as career missionaries. So would you give them a big warm welcome or a round of applause? So this is kind of a change. Holly, would you come up? And then I don't know how much of your team's coming up. But Holly, we've never done a work in India like Holly's taken us on this year. So I am really thrilled to see God opening up our horizons. This is a new field for us. We opened it this year. And Holly, it's been great to have you as part of the team. So thanks for sharing with us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, big thank you to those of you who came around us. We could never go out without each person in the church being a part of it through prayer and encouragement. And I'm going to invite the rest of the team to come up because I'm just sharing a little bit and uh, we've divided up our sharing between the team. So uh, we went out as a team of four from Calvary and met up with another um, two people from Minnesota. 
uh, a church there joined us, and uh, we were really privileged to join alongside of an agency called Freedom Firm. They do anti-trafficking work, rescuing girls out of uh, sex trade and uh, brothels uh, around different parts of India, and uh, we invited... Um, actually, Freedom Firm, they invited aftercare uh, homes with their girls to come to a camp. And this is a really a special time for girls. They've never had this kind of experience before in their lives. And it's really a dream come true for them to be able to go to a place of beauty and peace and be able to experience uh, God through the ways that we can come alongside of them and speak God's word and demonstrate Christ to them. So uh, I just want to encourage you with... Uh, one word from the Lord that really was impressed on my heart when I was just about ready to go out to the camp. I was reading in John, and I just really felt the Lord telling me to to look there and start reading in chapter 1. And uh, the verse that stuck out to me in this chapter was uh, verse 4 and 5. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it just gave me a lot of encouragement as I went out. And I think that's what I've come back with as well, too, is just this real strength of thinking uh, there's lots of darkness in the world, but we have the light of Christ. And it really does shine brightly in the darkness. And we were able to witness that when we were there. And I just want to let the team members share about how um, we witnessed that. And you'll be able to see in the slides, too, just uh, the girls being able to uh, change their distortions of uh, who they are and who they see God is and who they see in their relationships with one another. And uh, so you'll be able to see uh, just a little bit of a depiction of what we were doing. And I'm first going to have Brad share a little bit of his perspective. Hello. So I, I've probably talked to at least 20 people from this church already about our trip and spent a good 15, 20 minutes in each conversation because God really did so much in just a short time that we were there um, that it would be tough to explain in 10 minutes. But understand, this is my first mission trip, and I actually had some questions before going out. Um, I, I was questioning how can we make an impact in such a short time and why do we have to travel around the world to teach these girls, take them rappelling and ride them on horses? And because they can do that there without us. But once we landed, oh, and the other question was, what am I going to do as a guy? Because these girls were abused by men. And, but, but God went before the team. Because once we landed, um, he really merged, you can see God's hand merging these two churches together, work as one team. And we filled a gap where Freedom Firm couldn't, what Freedom Firm couldn't do. They can only, because of their government there, they can only bring, tell the girls so much about Christ. They can't do conversions. They can't, because there are a lot of Hindus there. And so, but the U.S. team had the liberty to come in and, and just preach the gospel to straight preach the gospel and, and let it be what it is. And, that, and it really, I know I'm going long here. <laughs> but we, we did that through games, um, devotions, 
and even and campfires at night. Um, but my highlight is, is the devotions. After each devotion, we broke up into small groups. And you can see by working together with these girls, rappelling off the cliffs, as you can see from some of the pictures, and, and riding the horses, they broke their fears. And we helped them do that. And we played games together, and they started trusting us. And, and that we were able to bring the gospel. And through our devotions, we had um, small groups that these girls broke down those walls that they've built up for years. They told us their stories, and let me tell you, as a guy, as a man, I was bawling. I was crying. As a father of two daughters, it breaks your heart to hear the, the struggles that these kids have been through. Um, and so just, and they were praising God for saving them out of the brothels, and they they were looking to God for their future, and that's the highlight. They weren't just abused kids. They were abused, yes, but they were giving God the glory. I am so grateful that, oh, is it my turn or is it my Okay. <laughs> I'm so grateful that um, love doesn't have geopolitical boundaries, but Christ calls us to go everywhere and love everybody even when it's not easy or it's not safe, his love is there. And this was my very first time being in the rainforest of India, which is a special place. The animals and plants there aren't even catalogued because it's so unique and different. And the girls were so excited and they kept grabbing my hand and saying, Didi, which means sister, come look, come look. There's a monkey in the tree and there's a waterfall and look at this tree and it's so beautiful. And they kept getting me to try everything. So the whole week long, I had you know, everyone holding my hand because they were so enthralled with simple wonder over things like stars. And they had come from these brothels in Kolkata, which are horrible places in slums that are crowded and chaotic. And this was their first time out where they could breathe and they could grow. And it was just amazing to see that, to see them turn into children again, to rejoice again. And in that place, there was a lot of healing and there was a lot of hope. And one of my favorite things there was Holly did this candle dance where they had these little lit up candles in their hands and they were moving around doing this waltz. And it was a perfect representation of God bringing them out of the darkness into the light and giving them joy and peace. And the cool thing is that Freedom Firm is a sustainable model of the holistic gospel where they rescue people and then in these aftercare homes they have hope of a future, like maybe I can do more than what society has labeled me as. Maybe I can work a job. Maybe I can have my own house. And there was this girl there, and she was so excited because, uh, oh, jazzercise. <laughs> That's cool. She was so excited and proud of herself because she had a job and she had her own place to live and she was making you know, 7,000 rupees a month which is something that she could live on. And so if you see the Ruhama designs back there, that's uh, one of the brainchild of Freedom Firm. And the girls make the jewelry, they get a living wage, and they're able to grow. And so I'm grateful to everyone who supports what's going on there because God is really moving and changing a society through the simplest people there. I have to read what I am going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Muskan. What is Muskan? Muskan is a Hindi word specially used in names or in or Hindi poems. It means smile, a smile that touches the heart. Tonight, Muskan is a girl, a 17-year-old girl. She caught my heart the first time I saw her at the Smyrna home where we stayed prior to our camping trip. I watched her from a distance and I thought, what a beautiful, sweet, innocent, cheerful girl she was. She looked younger than her age. She looked like a girl in junior high. If I had not heard her story, I would have been blinded with what my eyes saw, which is the outside. Muskan was born from a very poor Hindu family from a tribe in Nepal. She and her family were among the untouchables, the exact word used by her social worker. For those of you who do not know, untouchables is a term originated from a religious belief that means people that are considered unclean or poor, that when you touch them or touch what they have touched, that their diseases, which is their state of being poor, or if they truly have diseases, will be transmitted to you. So they are not the same as American poor. Those people do not have the privilege nor right to be better. For those people, it is embedded in their culture even now and probably in their hearts as well, that from one generation to the next and to the next, their people, their children will be forever poor. Education was not a privilege nor offered to that kind of people. So at the age of six, Muskan could not even read their alphabet or characters, nor write her name. She was a complete illiterate. It all began when she was six years old. She was approached and was told of a good, promising life that she can have somewhere, someplace else. It sounded wonderful for an innocent poor child, and probably even to the ears of her family. She wanted to go. She said that her father allowed her to do whatever she wanted at that age. So he tells me that her father must have thought, must have not want her to leave, but allowed her to go because she wanted to. And her father must have thought that that was the best thing he could do for his daughter. So she left with a person or persons that enticed her, the person or persons she and her family must have trusted, again, at the age of six. She must have been excited on her way to the promised land, a land of opportunity, a land of good living. But this innocent six years old was unaware of the dark path that she was treading ahead of her was full of evil. From Nepal, Muskan was on her way to India. When they, got, when they got to the country, she was placed and locked up in the dark room. She was given food, but was also injected or given hormonal medication to quicken the development of her physical body. She said when she could, she did not take the medication, she hid them Instead, she was locked 
in the dark room for a very long time. But the time came that her body was ready. It is time for her to be out in the open. They took her out to the light, but she could not stand the light. She was in the dark for a very long time that the light became unfamiliar to her eyes. It was so bright that tears shed down out of her control. But that did not stop those evil people to bring her to the place to do what they intend to use her for, to the brothel, for prostitution. Muskan was rescued by the authority once. The authority asked her if she knew anybody. There is one she knew, a woman she called auntie. She's not a relative, but a woman that Muskan thought was good to her, a woman she trusted. She was then released to that auntie, but just for that woman to place her back to the brothel, to prostitution once again. During those times that she was in those brothels, Muskan was told that nobody loves nor cares for her. So she was better off doing what she was told to do. She did, but she also did what she thought was best for herself. She tried to escape, but beaten up when found. She also attempted to take her own life. Despite of all evil that she experienced and surrounded her, and that she no longer trusted anybody, she had not closed up her heart from the world completely. She felt for other girls, and so she helped younger, younger girls escape. She also got, called God for help. And God is good. He answered her call. Last year at the age of 16, she was rescued for good. She was assigned to a social worker and sent to a home for girls. It was not just as any social worker, but a Christ-believer social worker. And not just a home, but a Christ-centered home for girls. God answered another prayer of hers. They found her father, and she will be reconciled with him soon. She is excited to go back to Nepal, but will remain in a Christian home over there, as she requested. For the meantime, she is finishing seventh grade in school. Although she is the oldest in her class, she, share, she shared with delight that she is the tallest. See, she also said that she was also surprised and very happy to know that there are people from other countries that love and care for her. After hearing her testimony, I thought she is still the same girl I saw the first time. A beautiful, sweet, innocent, and cheerful 17-year-old girl that looks younger than her age, but more. In her is a little girl. She cuddles with her social worker, loves to walk with or follow her social worker. It is a picture of a young daughter and a mom whenever I see them together. Also, she, believe, she is a believer of Christ and walking in Christ. She is a courageous girl. God has given her boldness. I saw that she loves to share the love the Lord Jesus Christ has given and giving her by just being friends with other girls, listening to their painful stories and comforting them. 
She loves to share her testimony for other girls to know that there is the Lord Jesus Christ whom they can turn to as well. The name Muskan was not her birth name. Just like the other girls, they, she chose to change it for she is no longer that old person. She is now Muskan, a smile of God that touches the hearts. Praise God. Get the other teams up. We have a couple minutes for questions and answers. Uh, I'm going to give the mic. Steve, would you take the mic out in case folks want to ask questions? Yeah. Uh, Les and Greg, come on up. That'd be great. What we're going to do now, if you have a question, you'd like to hear more about Myanmar, Uganda, or India, you can ask a question. We just have really a couple minutes. And then what we'd like to do is we're, we're going to pray as a team, as teams up here. We're going to go ahead and pray for some of the things that we've mentioned. So if you have a question, you can raise your hand, and then Steve will take the mic to you. Don't be afraid. You guys are pretty quiet tonight. <laughs> some people can't hear you. in India, when they were rescued, potentially they Right, yeah. Uh, so, but actually, when they're rescued, uh, if they're just rescued singly, they go together with a counselor, an aftercare worker. Um, if they're rescued in a group, then they'll know other people. They're usually from the same brothel and they get rescued together. But the person that all of them knew when they came to the camp was their social worker. So, everyone had a long term connection. Don't hurt yourself, Steve. Um, who, kind of two-part question, who does the rescuing, and is, is it, um, I know there are organizations out there who, who do kind of secret rescuing, or, because I know there's a lot of corruption in the Indian government, the police force. So there, are there any charges ever brought against these people who are running the brothels, and who are the ones that are actually doing the rescuing? Yeah, that's a great question. So Freedom Firm is set up to do the rescues, but they never do a rescue by themselves. They always do it in cooperation with the local police. And, of course, there can be tip-offs, and there often are, but uh, it's a big prayer uh, point is to be praying for those rescues. But they do have successful rescues. And uh, the other part of your question, uh, my other part of your question. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so basically, yeah, the police uh, are part of the prosecution as well, but Freedom Firm works on the cases long term, so they do prosecute the brothel keepers, but it's really different depending upon how it's taken in the courts. Depends how the testimonies go and the judges can be paid off, and so there is a lot of corruption, but yeah, they just do it in faith and really rely on a lot of support from local police, local connections that they can make and make a positive impact in the courts. But yeah, they do pursue the brothel keepers. Isn't India one of the countries that treat women as? not even good citizens. So I would imagine it would be hard for 
even the police to prosecute people who used them, wouldn't you? I mean, didn't you see that there? Uh, I would say, you know, there's respect. Uh, it's a honorable society, I would say. And uh, of course, like in any society, we have problems. And so it's just like a lot of other countries, even our own country, we have a lot of problems with prosecution, actually. Um, uh, so I would say it's very similar, except, uh, uh, of course, uh, the justice system here is going to provide a lot more support for people um, than in other countries. But um, I would say there's some similar patterns here as well, too. Yeah. I have a question. So, Les, when's the next time you're going to go to Myanmar? I'll be heading out probably the last week of September. Okay, we have a question over here. This is for all three teams. I'm hearing a lot about young girls who look younger than their age and have smiles and just glow, and that is so neat. But what about those that maybe we would call handicapped or disfigured, or there's some medical problem? Maybe they've been beaten to the point where they no longer can hear. I mean, are there outreaches for the less fortunate? For us. At um, New Hope, one of the groups we got to work with were the special needs kids. And so they have a special house for special needs kids. Um, and also the nurse that we worked with the first year and we got to see her again this year, whose name is Glorious, um, had oil spilled on her as a child and burnt her face is disfigured, but she just glows. <laughs> so they do work with the special needs kids. They do have those outreaches um, for the kids that need that kind of support. And um, one of the little guys named Wilson that couldn't see very well, they were having trouble trying to teach him his letters. And we brought a bunch of supplies to work the special needs kids, and Bonnie was able to make a book for him with raised letters so that he could trace them. And he had worked really well for him while we were there. And so it's, that's ours. <laughs> uh, in years past, when we've done the camp, we have seen some girls who have had some different uh, problems that have happened because of their life in the brothel. Maybe they have a hearing problem or some severe um, mental problems as well, too. So we just accept them and make adaptations as needed. This year, we really didn't have too much of that, but it's not uncommon to have a few girls, and they don't get... Dis they don't get uh, discarded or not included or can't participate uh, if they uh, come with anything, too. Uh, we do do horse therapy as well, too. Um, uh, and then Freedom Firm does that actually uh, all year long. And actually, the girls who are rescued will uh, do therapy sessions with the disabled kids in the community as part of their healing process, too. Let's take one more question, and then we'll go to some prayer time. So I think Julissa has a question. My question is, um, since I don't know much about the missions here at Calvary Chapel, does Calvary Chapel sponsor each one of you guys to go there, or is it, does it come out of your own pocket, and do you guys recruit people, or how does it work? I can, I can answer that question. Usually people who ask questions in the audience sponsor the next team next year. <laughs> So we want, let's all give Julissa a big hand for, thank you, this is awesome. We just raised money for the next team. 
Each of the team members are responsible to raise their own funds. Some of the teams, some of the funds that go together help to support some of the needs of the leaders because to lead a team, and I would like to say thank you, especially to the team leaders, that is six to eight weeks or, of, or three months sometimes of preparation and then on the field. So it comes from their own pocket. Sometimes people support them and then the church subsidizes part of like the P7 trip where we were paying for some of the kids to see their own country in Uganda. Calvary Chapel supported part of that. That's an excellent question. They sent, yeah, you can, if you want to go on a trip, you can send a letter out and then really finances is usually the least problem that you have. God can provide. If, if any one of you guys want to go on the Africa trip, uh, talk to Russ or talk to Steve or myself. We'd love to. That's the trip we have planned for this summer. And I'd like to kind of think of it in terms of a vision trip because you can see these guys came back with a greater vision for mission. I'm going to turn it over to Greg. We have a few minutes to pray. We want to really make that a key part of our Wednesday nights. So we still have the green cards, and if you have some prayer needs, please be filling those out. But what we've done as those of you that have been here on Wednesday night before, those of us up here are going to pray. So I'm going to open up, and then I'm going to hand it off, and uh, we're going to have each person pray for the area that they were engaged with, India, Uganda, Myanmar. And then I'm going to ask John to close that up at the end. And you guys just pray along. You can pray out loud. You can pray whatever, but we'll take the lead in the prayer, okay? So turn those in, those green cards. And uh, if you just put them over on my chair. Thank you, Steve. So just think about what you heard tonight, and then let's go to prayer, shall we? So, Father, again, we are incredibly thankful that we could engage with you in these things. Uh, we thank you for these dear brothers and sisters that gave of their time, their energies, and the change will be eternal. And the effect that they've had, Lord, on these trips will also be something that's eternal. And so we're so thankful for it, and we lift up these things, and we look ahead to the things that are before, and we pray for the issues that we saw tonight, Lord, and we lift them up to you as a very gracious God who hears us, and we, again, Lord, ask and employ your uh, empowering, your livening, your working in us and through us, Lord, to accomplish great things among